Good morning. We're in Psalm 119. This is the most carefully structured psalm in all of the scripture. It's comprised of 22 eight-line stanzas, each following in order the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. 172 verses, it checks it in as the largest chapter in all the Bible. And those of you who have read it in its entirety, what would you say is the gist of Psalm 119? What it really amounts to is this, this man's overflowing love for God and love for God's word. You know, early in the psalm, he writes this. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. With my whole heart, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. Verse 19, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your precepts at all times. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I mean, if you've read it before, all of that that language sounds extremely familiar. It's essentially a love poem over the Bible. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold pieces. Now, I grew up in church and I, I, I liked the Bible, I guess you would say. I respected the Bible. I believed the Bible was God's word. I knew that it was authoritative. I knew that it was important. But I, I didn't love the Bible. <laughs> Probably not until college. It was the very first time in my life that I truly loved it. I, I don't ever remember thinking in my early stages of years of life that the Bible was a sheer delight to me. I think I can say that today it truly is. Um, but even so, I don't love it like this guy. You read through Psalm 119 and you quickly realize there is only one person who could recite this psalm in its entirety and not be embarrassed in doing so because of the incongruity between their life and the psalm. And that one person is, of course, Jesus. What I never saw until this week is if you read Psalm 119 this way, you come to discover this is Christ's heart toward all of the Bible. You ever wonder how Jesus felt about the Bible? This is it. All of these affections of, and desires to follow God's way and, and all of it, this is the mind of Christ toward all of the scriptures. This is it. And this morning, we're uh, in a new sermon series called Habits of a Healthy Church. I promise that I'm not going to preach a five-step sermon on how you can love the Bible more because those aren't very good sermons <laughs> usually. But one of the frequent things Paul says to his churches is that you are to have the mind of Christ. And friends, this is the mind and heart of Christ toward that book that you're holding in your hands. And I know that we will become a healthier church if this mind of Christ becomes more and more our mind. And so I have a few ideas on how we can become a people that's more like that. But to begin, I'd like us to pray the prayer here that's in the side column of your bulletin. This was a prayer that John Stott, famous rector of All Saints in London, he would pray this before all of his sermons. I I read it and I was like, oh, we got to do this. Let's pray. Together, aloud. 
We pray that your written word of Scripture may now and always be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The MEM section, 97 through 104, is the equivalent of our letter M. So, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Is it how he feels about the word? The bait section is our letter B. How can a young man or, or woman stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I will delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And then finally, the quote on the front of the bulletin, I'm kind of springboarding off of this Dallas Willard quote, where he writes, The process of spiritual transformation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself, a.k.a. Scripture. Spiritual formation in Christ moves toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. Of course, we know that Jesus' mind was filled with Scripture. We know that it was his desire to do the will of the Father, and the Father's will was made known to him primarily through Scripture. And we know that Jesus, had, he memorized large portions of the Bible. Surely he memorized quite a bit of Psalm 119. And we know that memorization in the ancient world was just a common feature of the way that they learned everything. For example, according to Plato, the Greeks, right after they would teach their children the Greek alphabet, their alpha, beta, gamma, deltas, etc., they would begin having them memorize Greek poetry. Plato says, quote, They were furnished with the works of good poets to read so that they might imitate them and long to become even as they were. They would give them poetry to, to memorize. So the tool of teaching and reciting and memorizing uh, this poetry would be the way that they would inculcate the great Greek virtues, not necessarily Christian virtues, but Greek virtues, into their children. The importance of honor, the importance of the love of glory, the value of a cunning spirit. That's how they taught their kids. Even at Greek dinner party, dinner parties, or rather, um, men would sometimes stand up and give great orations over the epic poetry they had memorized. So there was a Greek historian by the name of Xenophon. He recalls a man by the name of Nicoratus saying, 
that my father, wishing me to become a good man, made me learn the whole of Homer so that even today I can still recite the Iliad and the Odyssey by heart. <laughs> the Iliad and the Odyssey by heart. That's 792 pages, maybe? That's the entirety of the Old Testament. Yet they would do that. They would memorize material in this way. It was not uncommon in the ancient world. What struck me as I thought about Psalm 119 this week, and as I thought about this whole matter of memorization, the word memorize never occurs in the Bible. It's never found in 119. It's never found anywhere in the Bible. And yet every bit of of Scripture kind of implies that. Because these people, I should have, here's my Bible. They, They did not, they did not have this. They could not wake up on Monday morning with a cup of coffee and break open their Bible and have a morning devotional time. They didn't do that. They didn't have copies of the Scriptures. What they did is they heard the scriptures in synagogue on Saturday, and they might have heard them in their schools, and then what were they required to do after they heard it? To memorize it. Their morning devotional time was essentially, if they had such a thing, I mean, probably, I don't know if they did, but, but it was essentially this recitation and recall of large portions of the Bible that they had committed to memory. So it got me thinking, when you read in verse 97 about, oh, how I love your law, and I meditate on it day and night, you have to think, you have to think that the process of memorization and meditation are closely connected, aren't they? I mean, when I'm talking about memorization, I'm not talking about memorizing math facts, but I'm talking about memorizing the writings of someone that you love. And when you commit... uh, um, a section of, maybe it was a, um, a letter that your husband wrote to you when you were dating, and uh, you commit that to memory because those are the words of love. Um, and you, you stir through, uh, st- you think over that and recite it, and it stir your, stirs your heart. Um, I've just got to believe that memory and meditation went hand in hand. We don't do that, do we? We do this thing that's called read, (laughs) and we don't read very well. We all know that modern technology has really messed with our ability to read. We'll be reading through a page, at least I will, but I hear this from you too. You'll be reading through a page, you're halfway down the page, and you can't even, you're like, what What was I, I don't even know what was just said. You can't make it to the end of a page without wondering yeah, what was going on here? Our ability to, to read is severely compromised. And we don't meditate deeply on what we read. I was listening to a guy this week who spoke on some of the basics of cognitive science. Uh, I'm no, <laughs> no uh, professional when it comes to cognitive science. This is basic level stuff. But those who study the human brain, neuropsychologists, etc., they have a phrase which you may have heard before. They say that neurons that fire together wire together. The way that our, apparently our brain cells communicate is one brain cell will release a chemical neurotransmitter that then the next brain cell absorbs. When your brain cells communicate this way frequently, the connection between each of these cells in their respective pattern strengthens. 
Neurons that consistently activate in a pattern are more likely to fire and repeat themselves in that same pattern the more they are activated. It's kind of like if you're hiking through a jungle with a machete. The first time you make your pathway through the jungle, um, it's a lot of work, and, but you're, you're doing it. And it's, you know, it, the second time you make it through the jungle, there, it's, the path is much more clear because you've cut it through once. The third and fourth time you make it through the jungle, uh, it's even clearer still. Pretty soon, when you think of thought, they say, when you, when you come to that part of the j- jungle and you've already kind of carved a pathway of thought, you just automatically take that route because it's the loud of, route of least resistance and you don't even think about it anymore. Like you and I, We probably, we, I don't know if this is making any sense, but we probably have like fear pathways that we, we have connected and we have anger pathways that we've connected and we've got anxiety pathways and you don't even think about it. You just start heading out and immediately you're, you're going through this cut through jungle path. Even if there's a safer way through the jungle or uh, a smarter way through the jungle, you're kind of stuck on that same course. Well, scientists say that uh, you can re-pathways your mind. That's why they have an entire field devoted to neuroplasticity. They say it is possible to rewire how we think, but it doesn't happen with the flick of a switch. You have to think and then think and rethink over and over again. It takes a ton of repetition. Now, I'm not sure that there's a connection here between Psalm 119 and its It's speaking of this deep meditating on the word of God, but it wouldn't surprise me if there were. If the daily repetition of scripture by memorization and meditation is one of the ways that God changes the the, the way that we rethink things. I mean, isn't this what Paul talks about in Romans 12, 1, where he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that renewing of your mind is an ongoing, continual, daily process to think Christ's thoughts after him. One thing that I've observed as a pastor is over the years, most people, they believe that it takes a lot more effort to, ch- to change things physically than, they, than it does spiritually or mentally. If you have somebody who's on the couch, they're a couch potato, and they want to get to 26.2 in the marathon, they know that it's going to take a whole lot of work to get them from point A to point B. But then people, when it comes to changing the way they mentally or or spiritually process events, they just don't expect that it takes nearly as much time because they don't put nearly as much time into retraining their minds to think the thoughts of Christ. They just expect it to be far easier than, than the physical side of things. So, we are to, we are to meditate uh, deeply on the law of God. Jesus called all of the Old Testament the law and the prophets. But not all of the Old Testament was law. A lot of the Old Testament was a narrative. Some of the Old Testament was history. Some of the Old Testament was poetry. Why do you think that Jesus called all the history, narrative, and stuff law? I think the answer to that question is 
He considered all of the Old Testament as binding upon us. This is the standard by which we, we are to think. So like what example, what would, for example, would be a, a, a normative or binding poetry as the Psalms could be for us? Well, here, here's uh, one way. Sometimes we go through seasons of life when the scriptures feel dull. We are reading the Bible and it feels like we're reading a phone book. We're getting nothing out of it. It feels so dry and dusty. And I feel dry and dusty. God feels distant. I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere when I'm reading the Bible right now. Well, God gives us poetry to express that actual experience. A poetry that would be sort of a law for your mind to use. Psalm 42 and 43 as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while, it, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my my Savior and my God. So just like uh, you and I, uh, the psalmist might remember a time when the Lord was close to him, speaking to him, but now life is dry and parched and miserable. And the former experience of hearing God seems so far from him. But the poetry of Psalm 42 and 43 is a law that's to be meditated in a sense. because It's, it's a way of saying, struggle through this experience this way. This is the God-given way to process your emotional experience and express it back to him with these very words. Of course, you'd best do that if you have it memorized. Uh, another example, what would it mean to have a binding standard story that, that was the kind of the controlling story of your life? Well, we know as Christians, the controlling story of our lives is the gospel. Um, and that no matter what happens to me today, tomorrow, this week, or month, no matter what heartbreaks you and I experience, uh, our story, the, the North Star for us is the good news that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. All First Corinthians 15 type stuff that he ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Uh, what we always come back to is that story. That story is normative for us. No matter what happens, that is our bedrock uh, your bedrock is the narrative that the gospel is true. <laughs> and honestly, that's sometimes the only thing that gets you through a day. The gospel is true. Um, I find now, the older I get, there's two things I say more frequently than any other, and that is the prayer, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And I tell myself, the gospel is true. Christ is risen. That's, that's the, the story of my life. Um, and those are the things that God wishes us to meditate on and to, uh, to memorize. Let me conclude with this. If you are new to the faith and never read through the Bible before, you're like, where do I start? Most people make the mistake, I think it's a mistake most likely, of turning to page one to the beginning of Genesis and trying to read straight through. 
if you've had no exposure to the Bible, you're going to find a lot of things at the beginning of it that are confusing, and you're going to disagree with, and you're going to get lost in all of the details. Far better for you to start with one of the binding narratives that, uh, of the Christian life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the Gospels, and begin with some uh, uh, reading through a gospel, and then simple scriptures to memorize, to have on your heart and mind throughout the course of the week. Some, I know that some people have come to All Saints and you don't even have a Bible, but if you will talk with us, we'll get you a Bible and we'll get you scriptures to memorize. We can get you people who will study the scriptures together with you and help, help you understand them. Um, but that's the best place to begin. One thing I want you to realize is... Uh, your habits shape the, the, what you like and what you desire. James K. A. Smith has, he put out a great book maybe five years ago. The, the title of it is, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. What I find most people are unaware of is just how much our habits shape what we want and what we desire. Um, I was listening to a guy this weekend, he was uh, talking about, he's not a shopper. But after every Christmas season, he finds it's really strange that on December 26, 27, 28, he, he kind of feels this desire to go back out into the, to the mall and shop some. And I'm that way too. I mean, I hate shopping, but I kind of feel, feel drawn in that direction after I've done a whole lot of shopping. Because the more you shop, the more you want to shop. The more you eat a donut, the more you want to eat four or five of them. The more you watch Netflix, the more you want to watch the Netflix. The more you download porn, the more you want to download porn. See, our habits shape our loves and shape our longings. And uh, what God wants to do is, is reshape your loves and longings. I probably guarantee you that if you just pick up the Bible for the first time, you're not going to be immediately saying that this tastes like honey. But the more you do it, the more you study it, the more you read it, the more you meditate it, the more you let it examine you, the sweeter and sweeter it becomes. Then I want to say, I guess, one last thing to my, you, my brothers and sisters, who are readers and lovers of the Bible and have been studying it for a long time in your life. I, we, as a family... Well, several of us in the family watched the movie Ready, Ready Player One this past week. Um, Ready Player One, it's a Steven Spielberg video game where you have a character, a protagonist by the name of Percival, who he's trying to win the game, and the way you win the game is you have to kind of figure out the mind of the game maker in this alternative virtual reality universe called the Oasis. The game maker's name is Halliday. And the, the, I don't want to give it, give it away, but the way, give away the end of the story, you have to discover the mind of Halliday in order to win the game at the end. And so much of it is just, how do I understand the mind of Halliday? Brothers and sisters, really that ought to be our desire, is to discover, we study this so that we get the mind of Christ. We, we want, at the end of the day, to, to, be, to be like Christ and to be like Christ, you have to think like Christ. And to think like Christ, you have to have the words of Christ rooted in your heart. What, what it really is interesting about Psalm 172, and you can read through it all 172 verses later today, what, you, what you'll find is the 
the author is very familiar with God's word. Like he knows God's word. He loves God's word. He says, I am committed to following God's word. He really understands God's word. He said in this section how I know it better than my elders and I know it better than my teachers. How would this guy get an A on the Bible study exam? Yes, he would. But the other feature that shows up page after page is he says, open my eyes to your word. Turn my eyes to see your word. On one hand, he knows the word better than all of his teachers. And on the other hand, he humbly depends on God to show him what he's not seeing. He assumes when he reads the word that there's something that he's not seeing. And that needs to be our prayer as we're studying it. The more familiar it is, the more you need to pray, God, open my eyes to see What is it that he will open your eyes to see? You need to pray that he would open your eyes to see Christ because that's what all of Scripture points to is Christ. And in seeing Christ, you ask to give you the mind of Christ. So friends, as a congregation, when we take our Bibles, let us meditate from a posture of humble humble dependence. God, help me to see Christ. For that's the one thing I need today, to see Christ in all the Scripture and to cherish God's word as the Son of God does. Amen.